0: Hello and welcome to the ATEM podcast. My name is Andrew Clark and this is the place to be to catch up on what you missed at the 2021 edition of the online 24 hours of ATEM. So for this ninth episode we will cover enabling production and distribution everywhere. So let's start the engines.
1: Hello everybody, we're on our Ninth out of 24 laps here on the 24 hours of uh, attempt here at Le Mans. Welcome you all to uh, the session titled Enabling Production and Distribution Anywhere. My name is Andy Audette. I'm going to be the moderator for the session today. I'm based in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, a couple of quick things is pretty much all the normal Zoom guidelines. You're on mute and uh, chat's disabled but certainly we encourage uh, Q&A and uh, uh, if we don't answer it immediately, I uh, will uh, pull them up at the end and, uh, and, cu- and cover them. So quickly, as we said today, we're sort of gonna talk a little bit about uh, on-prem production and distribution and the evolution to the cloud. Uh, you're gonna hear from our partners at Grass Valley, some principles behind their Orbit and the AMP products and probably more how similar they are than different. And uh, we'll just focus a little bit on, you know, how you do live production in the cloud. And uh, I think the real theme here is how do you produce more live content than ever in the cloud as we move forward? Let me introduce you to the panelists as we get going here. Um, We've got Chuck Meyer from Grass Valley. He's a technology fellow. Uh, Chuck's been in the industry quite a while and uh, could tell us a lot of good stories here and interesting facts. So looking forward to hearing from to talk to us about the cloud evolution here in the production world. Also have Sam Craig, who is a network and sales engineering manager from Grass Valley. Sam oversees solutions, builds for Grass Valley's routing, control, and monitoring, and infrastructure lines. He covers both baseband and IP workflows. And also have one of my colleagues, Amokar Padilla, based in Miami. Um, Amokar heads up our solutions engineering group and uh, very heavily involved in many of our cloud activities, especially on the production side and brings a lot of experience uh, with him from a tem in uh, in the industry before. So with that, I think we're just gonna jump right into uh, Sam uh, talking a little bit about, uh, I guess I should have put up the post slide, huh? got a little fatigue here. So everybody we just introduced and we're gonna proceed into it. Uh, just for everybody's knowledge here, uh, we've had some technical issues with the remote controls and moving the slides, so I'm going to keep control and just signal to me anytime you're ready to move on, or if I guess it uh, wrong, let me know. So here we go. Thanks, Sam. Nice. Thanks, Andy. So really,
0: we're looking at a couple of challenges challenges at hand. So first off, what we're really encountering here is the need to produce more and more content than we've ever really encountered before. So we pair this with delivery mechanisms really to reach as many people as possible. So adaptation here is really key. We have to maintain an agile approach to not only produce our content, but deliver this to as many eyeballs as possible across as many formats and devices and mechanisms that we've really ever seen. So you pair this with what we encountered last year. We have to take all of these different components together into remote models. So content is produced, delivered all from remote areas. So how are we able to adapt not only our technologies as well as really tackling this transition to the IP domain really without any downtime here? So what we're looking at now is how do companies like I was Grass Valley and at Tim how do we maintain a commitment to meeting these challenges in really a variety of ways? So the first stage here is, I want to take you into the control aspects. Andy, if you want to go to the next slide, I want to introduce a product that we have at Grass Valley that's called GV Orbit. So GV Orbit is a single unified platform that really bridges together your configuration mechanisms, your control mechanisms, as well as monitoring the systems. And these are simply made up of individually licensed packages or components that we bring to the system for a specific function. So it is possible I can take a fully blown Orbit system. This will give me a single pane of glass user interface to do everything with routing, everything with device configuration, everything with system monitoring, all in one cohesive package. Or we can individually license specific subsets tailored to system needs. So what we're able to do is is we take a microservices approach to this. What we can do is simply license these different apps and services, turn them on ad hoc or simply blow them all open and give your operators and your engineers one single interface to do everything. Now, in terms of deployment, think of this as we can do it on COTS turnkey servers. We do have virtual packages as well. This essentially takes your overlaying architecture into one single interface. So I have one single orchestration layer to control not only baseband solutions, hybrid solutions, or pure IP solutions. This is compatible with hybrid routers, baseband routers, IP systems, you name it. This gives us one single place to do it. So Andy, if we'll go one more slide, uh, let's just take a look at how this is all brought together. So if you see here in this slide, GB Orbit sits at the heart of any system. Now surrounding the system is either a network or if we're talking about baseband, this is baseband routers. And so surrounding that, you have top level configuration of all of your devices in the system. You then have routing control of every device in the system and you have monitoring as well. But this is also true when it comes to monitoring northbound or control northbound, so we can still expose orbit as a traditional broadcast controller, but it's still orchestrating the entire system. So, I can send alarms and parameters northbound to something else, as well as routing status information. So, think of this as northbound plus southbound for all devices. So, this is also true when it comes to IP switching fabrics. So, this can be paired with any COTS fabric that can handle IGMP requests, any 2110 workflows, but GB Orbit simply sits on that network and orchestrates all of our devices. And so when you start pairing in third-party devices like NMOS compatibility, we simply house the registry and now we're able to talk to everything. And so if we follow the entire production chain, let's talk on-prem for a moment. I'm producing some content. I can use GV Orbit as my control system, but my cameras talk NMOS. Orbit finds it, we're able to control it. Our switchers are over NMOS. We can route into them. Our conversion and processing platforms, all over NMOS, we can control and monitor them. We have display converters, we have multi viewers, modular products, even connectivity up into the cloud. This gives us one simple interface for all devices to orchestrate all routes and send it up to the cloud, down to the cloud, and take care of all of the system orchestration. So in a nutshell, that's where we are with GB Orbit. So I'm
2: gonna pass it off to Emifar and take us a little bit deeper.
3: indeed thanks I was muted there for a second all right so here what you can see is a is a traditional production workflow you have the production truck at the arena separate compression and transmission truck environments pass the content reliably or or satellite or whatever to your master control room where then you perform primary distribution to your partners or affiliates now if we had, if adopting solutions like Orbit, this allows engineers to easily start adopting things like Twenty One Ten and keep the lights on, right? But you know if if we if we use technology like like Twenty One Ten, it looks the diagram looks very much the same, right? You basically have the same workflow, but now you open up the uh, the opportunity to leverage interfaces like, like 25 gigabit interfaces. Instead of having, you know, BNC cables everywhere, you now have the possibility of doing, for example, eight 1080p signals in a single 25 gigabit interface. So this simplifies cabling a lot. But still, normally when you do contribution, you know, live production and contribution, you typically use appliances and these appliances don't necessarily have the ability to take advantage of the latest in terms of you know, interfaces or even uh, formats or codecs or ARQ technology for moving content reliably across the internet. So the solution is really to adopt pure software in combination with IP. So if we'll go to the next slide, please. So if we adopt pure software solutions providers like a TAM can now create software that behaves like an appliance that can be just as reliable, just as, uh, as, uh, as fast, but, but software, upgradable, adaptable. So now we can take advantage of the faster CPUs that are coming out, we can use PCIe cards, And operators can, instead of having to plan ahead and think of so many things that they have the right equipment to do the right, for the right uh, compression for the right event, they can standardize on on a server platform, standardize on PCIe cards. And the software can be an encoder when they need it to be an encoder. It can be a decoder when they need it to be a decoder. Furthermore, it can be ready for any codec, any format that needs to be supported in the future, so the solution is really to go pure software. Um, but now the issue arises when you have to, you know, actually, pure software opens up the possibilities of doing virtualization, which brings, you know, even more uh, opportunities to do interesting things around live production, which are particularly germane to what's happening today in a in a pandemic environment where we work from home. And I'll let I'll let one of my colleagues here. Speak about that in the next slide.
1: There we so go. I think we're oh, to Chuck here. Thanks, Jock.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for that lead, and Alucard, thank you for uh, sharing your perspective. Um, Sam, so uh, Andrew hit the nail on the head. If we look at the slide on Andrew's, or on um, Sam's almost first slide, he had two things there. He had JTNM and he had NMOS. And if we think back to seven years ago, Um, Grass Valley was uh, important and and a dominant player in developing the JTNM reference architecture, and then subsequently working through AMLA to develop NMOS. The the idea behind those things is to get after exactly what Amlcar was saying, is is how do we get to a software-only environment, right? And unfortunately, you know, COVID has been a a, a huge tragedy, I think, in the world. However, it did forced the industry to look at the technologies of virtualization that um, at least uh, I feel Grass Valley, I know other companies were as well, working together with the Tim as well. We were actually able to exploit those and bring something to the market early. And it seems like a lot of times uh, in our industry, it's it's a large shift in some macro event that allows us to take a look at the new technology. Uh, Buried in NMOS, and the reference architecture is a real simple concept it's called a flow and a grain and every piece of video every video frame has a timestamp all audio carries a timestamp and we're going to look at how we can leverage that up through a stack in order to look at how we do virtualization uh, andrew if you could get to the next slide please so this would be our traditional live production environment and this is the way Grass Valley looked at the problem. We said, "Let's solve the hard problem," because there's so many intricacies in live production. We've got scale, lots of cameras at a venue. We have, you know, high-level production equipment, high production quality, and something like a Premiership League match cup, a U.S. Super Bowl, a, a, an Olympics. Lots of people on the ground, lots of people home remote. Um, it's it's a very very complex problem, and one of the key things built in here is latency. The other key thing that's built in here is the ability to scale or elastic compute. Can I spin up multiple resources? Can I make them fit the cloud? And, and so this was, the, this was the picture we were going after, and then also recognizing that if I do certain things in the truck, really aren't I doing them for the whole workflow? And in a way, we could we could almost take this picture here and say all workflows are the same workflow. I go all the way back to film. a very long time ago, we shot film, we developed film, we edited film, we put together the final distribution. What's, what's changed is how we shoot it, how we develop it and how we distribute it. And we still have three functions and the same three functions today. Next slide please. So how do we push this out? And our next key is we took what was in the traditional thing, and we said, let's put these things at home. We might have a hosted show, either the B program, uh, color commentary, halftime highlights, post-game highlights. We have uh, other back-end production skills that don't have to be in the same location. We have multiple venues potentially, if we think back to something like the Men's World Cup held in Russia, I think there were 16 stadiums. So how do we manage all of this? Because each one of those locations wants to carry out a creative process. But what's unique to each one of those cre- locations is the time. We we can't violate physics, right? I mean, it, it just takes so long for a signal to propagate. Uh, we have things like router switch buffers in the way. We have things like codecs, and this is where uh, the partnership between Grass Valley and ATEM has been really, really powerful. But the concept here is that if I let each one of these endpoints, a venue, a remote production facility, a studio facility, even that final comp- compositing or, or construction in the cloud, if I let each one of those venue points operate in its own time frame, isn't that good enough? It's like if all of us each were wearing our own uh, virtual reality helmet, and I'm satisfied, Amilcar is satisfied, Sam is satisfied, But we don't have to be identically time aligned. The final production is seen by the viewer is satisfied. Let's go to the next slide, please. And so again, this is how we can do multiple events. What's the time zone? You see the little different clock in every location. It's because each one has a different time zone. We can think of that as capture because they're just offset by the physical location of where they are. They're offset by the difference in the physics between the location and that in our broadcast center. Next slide, please. And now we move it all to the cloud. So rather than it being a physical broadcast center where Orbit is playing, we'll push it up into the cloud where AMP is playing. They're really very common tools. They're based on microservices. They're based on understandings of media and timing and time alignment. They're based on understanding of resource management. One has a tighter level of control over what's available. If if I want 100% availability, I'm gonna use Orbit just like I would on-prem. If I can live with statistical availability, something we'll all be encountering more in in our futures, the cloud becomes a very fluid place for us to work. And I, I, I say statistical capability because what's my bandwidth to get to the cloud? How many server instances can I spin up in the cloud? Do I get a CPU or a GPU? Those are the types of variables that you have to deal with, but we want to mask those from the customer. Next slide, please. And this leads us to that concept of elasticity, right? If I can have seven camera CCUs or three camera CCUs, if the truck only carried four and one fails, can I put an auxiliary one? Can I get resiliency because I have a cloud workflow? This is showing these three same Points, again, acquisition, I have processing, I have a technical or creative decision shown up there as operations. Okay. And so if I can look at each one of those as having a time domain, and that time domain is potentially a function of what the operator has to do. If I have a large group of people in a room, I have one time domain problem. If I have three people that are potentially looking at something in their own visualized world, I have three time domain problems. But we can manage time domain problems effectively by bending time so that everybody feels like they're in their own real time. Uh, I I started writing code at Atari in 1979. I, I think Grass Valley's now built the world's largest interactive video game with what they do with AMP. And what's interesting here about how you can draw this analogy is I could be at that acquisition center and I could be using SMPTE-2110. I could still even be feeding 2110 out to the truck. But at the point in time I want to move it to the cloud, I might use a different transport Could be more efficient by doing something differently. And this is where we work together with the TIM to take advantage of what their codec can do, marry it together with the, the transport we've developed and ensure that we get the lowest possible latency in the cloud, but it's actually in all three of these linkages. We're managing all of those linkages to get the best latency. And that's why we talk about, we talk about this managed latency, okay?
3: And that also
2: now lets us make a trade-off between latency and compression ratio in order to manage the bandwidth that we might require in the cloud. Push it all into the cloud for the final process. Out again. Next slide, please. So these are what we're after now when Sam says Orbit has a platform, it's typically a platform that an SI has designed, and we can look at equipment racks, and we go out there and we find the rack in the room, and we point to the frame, and, and there it is. In our case, we're spinning something up, up, and down in software, exactly what Amelcar is asking for. How is it that we make everything here be software? Here's where Orbit and AMP are virtually identical, controllable from anywhere, including at home. We, we use one of the key, key, key foundations in the JTN MRA is what we call unique identity. And everything's identified, it is, it's a piece of media, it's a, it's a device, it's the server the device runs on. Every point has unique identity and that's how we're able to basically spin things up reliably and control them reliably. When we built uh, an SDI or 2110 facility, we typically have some assigned addresses and some strong identities. And they're a function of the design of the facility. When we move into the cloud, we're gonna look at infrastructure as code and configuration as code. And it will rely upon the software side identities in order to both spin those resources or applications up and down and then be able to control them. Once we've built that, we now have a workflow that's in the cloud. Off we move to handling, branding, uh, things that Alacar and you know ATEM can do for their customers uh, in order to be sure that I've got the right ad certs, the right interstitials, I've got everything in the right place. This is this whole, Sam said, How do you say they said, we want to take one piece of content, we want to send it to multiple people, potentially in different delivery formats, right? I I want to send something for an HDR, an SDR, uh, an Apple, and an Android. And it's all the same root content, but it's four different pieces of final production. I may also have different interstitials based on geographic location. I have another degree of freedom I want to manage. If, If I took that times two everywhere, I just created eight independently monetized streams. They're logically... Coordinate it, yes, still got to do it. <laughs> you still need to do this this striping in. So intuitive UIs and UX, we want the operator to do that. Imagine an operator being able to just say, assign interstitials rather than I got to do number one, number two, number three, number four, number five. Just I'm going to assign interstitials. And it was a preset, right? Because it was really kind of a parametric is it was, it was more like, I'm a math guy. It was a vector, not a single value. And I, I start to manipulate vectors now. The most important thing is we do this all managed for latency. That way, your live production creative feels and can deliver the quality that they've always been used to. And this this is a, the real key. I think it punches up on the very next slide, Andrew. About one of, one of the things that we leverage together. Um, I hit all these points. I think that's what I get for you know not prepping on my slide. It's got to be the next slide, Andrew. Let's go one more. And here we go. What we did working together with the TEM is the SEI time code message. Built into 264265 is the ability to carry this additional message that's going to allow them to tell us, here's the time code relative to the frames that are coming out of the codec. That, that's so important because when, when we think about our traditional way of doing video, we would say, uh, you know, here's empty time code at the top of the frame, and all you people in the U.S., you, you really have a terrible life because you use 5994 and you have to worry about drop frame. Um, it's a little bit different in the IP world. We can look at this a different way. When I want to manage Amalcar's time and I want to manage Sam's time, what's more important than the absolute time code, and don't get me wrong, it is important, is the relative time code. And the most relevant important thing about the relative time code really goes to what I call the landmark. So let's say I have video. What's the most important thing about video Its landmark is top of frame. And if I can manage audio referred to video based on a PTP timestamp and audio to a timestamp in video and I can manage video to the frames and I can manage the post side of a encoded world with frames, I can now start to line things up very easily very effectively and with very low latency. So now Alucar sees what I want him to see, Sam sees what, and Andrew sees what he sees. So it's that built-in capability of having that timecode messaging that lets us build this platform as if it were timecode, but it becomes positionally variable and allows us to have the creative people in our process have that real-time look and feel to their final work product. And that's how come we're all able to generate beautiful content. Maybe one last closing slide for me. So just this, is, this was the goal that we could, uh, we could do this. Um, ATEM has been a great partner uh, for Grass Valley to work with on the encoding side because just count up all of those feeds. Um, and, and, and believe me, we, we've got a lot of media moving. And even at compressed ratios, there's a lot of data flying. But we can coordinate and orchestrate the timing of the system. Therefore, we can coordinate and orchestrate where the resources are spun up how they're spun up, and we can even build a bridge so that when you're back on prem using Orbit, all of those identities are respected, and so you've got a contiguous operating environment, be, be it in the cloud or being it back on prem. I think that was my closing slide. Let's make sure. You want to go to the next Should slide? I
1: first. So I think uh, I think I'm, I'm going to throw a poll out here right now. Let's uh grab the poll question. Yeah, do you... So a question a lot of people see, which cloud environment are you considering for live remote production and distribution? So we'll throw that out there and give folks a minute to get a little distribution up and to see if we can get any surprises. So Chuck, you talked a little bit about orchestration while we're waiting for the poll to go sure. through. Sure. Um, any difference, or I'm assuming, you know, between uh, orchestrating in a single system versus multiple systems?
2: Um, I, I think it's just degree, Andrew. I mean, maybe maybe Sam has seen some differences, but it's I, so the the is like this. SDI, we had something called tie lines to orchestrate and manage bandwidth, and they were grossly inefficient, very clunky. Uh, we didn't have a mechanism to let go of them. When we moved into an IP twenty one ten world, we were much more flexible because you could take the twenty. Well, let's call it the hundred gig uplink, and that's effectively now our group of physical tie lines in the SDI world, I could allocate that based on required bandwidth. So if I had HD, 4K, SD, I had much more flexibility. I also had knowledge of the connection. So, you know, I would know if it went away, right? I could use things like paying an LLDP to say, hey, you're done, make that go away. When I moved to the cloud, now I have to consider that next variable, which has to do with quality of service and performance of each one of those tributaries. So, it's some layers of complexity, but the basic problem is, is still pretty much the same.
1: Okay, Sam, any comment on top of that? Yeah, so
0: when it comes to multiple systems from GV Orbit, we're essentially a giant tie line engine. So everything's just a function of bandwidth. It's, you know, what's this 100 gig pipe? How many signals are coming down it? Great, great. If it's five, 10 baseband routers, cool. No big deal. If you have tie lines defined between those, awesome. It's just functions of pathfinding. That's how we do it. We use the intelligence built into orbit to sense, well, what can this device do? How can I get this signal to this receiver in the best method possible? So uh, we do systems where it's one giant IP solution where it's multiple systems tied together, multiple baseband routers, it doesn't really matter. And into an operator's perspective, I'm still clicking source to destination, simple as that. Yep.
2: That's right. It, it's fair to say you've got a sea of connections, right Andrew? <laughs> and as you just said, it's source to desk click, it's, it's up to orbit, it's up to AMP, they figure it all out, it's like magic. And, and yet what both products include to help our customers is it's not like you're in the dark. If you need to drill down, if you need to path trace, if you really need to figure out where it is, we can get you that information. But your day-to-day workflow, we don't want you to have to worry about those details anymore. Uh, You you don't have time and you probably can't manage it yourself anyway, given bandwidth flexibility per flow.
1: Exactly, yeah. So here are the poll results. We'll share them here. I don't think there's any big surprise. We know there's a lot of movement toward the public cloud and AWS certainly is out there uh, marketing hard. And I don't know if everybody saw some cloud financial Results a few weeks ago, I mean, AWS was, I think, at uh, you know, 50, 50 billion. you know Azure was at half that, and GCP was at uh, half of Azure. Um, little interesting here that there just doesn't happen to be some Azure folks out in the crowd right now, and uh, but certainly multi-vendor is the other thing we're hearing hearing a lot, certainly uh, being a big requirement from our standpoint, you know multi-cloud.
3: It's it's not surprising that AWS is the leader, but what's really revealing is that, you know, there's no one cloud provider, right? That basically we have to be able to support our customers wherever they want to go. And that means, you know, maintaining basically agnostic solution that could run on multiple clouds with infrastructure as code as well and automation that is also... (laughs) cloud platform agnostic, leveraging tools like Terraform and Ansible, et cetera. So it's uh, it's clear that uh, that for the foreseeable future, you know, we basically have to commit to being fully interoperable.
1: Yep. Yeah. I don't know, Chuck or Sam, any comments about what you're seeing out there, working with uh, our favorite big cloud guys?
2: Uh, I'd agree with Amalcar. Um, and and it will be a uh, it'll be a, a a fun journey, right? Because <laughs> we we have different cloud providers just because they do have different uh, capabilities to offer, and and I you know again not surprising AWS is leading. I'd agree that we just don't have an Azure fan on the call right now or on the presentation.
3: I'd imagine
2: we'll see those things tighten up as um, they all take deeper looks at media and how they want to go after the media market. Um, And saying I can, uh, how you do your cloud stack architecture is essential, and I I think that's, again, been a good place that Tim and Grass have uh, found each other to uh, be good partners so that you really can say, well, look, I can spin this up in Azure, I can spin it up in AWS with a minimum of, uh, let's call it, uh, southbound uh, interface work required in your stack.
3: Uh, and, and that's also why both of our companies, I think, have adopted cloud-native tools, right? Both of our solutions are microservices-based. That means basically that we can run anywhere, whether that be private cloud via Kubernetes stacks or leveraging managed Kubernetes clusters in the cloud. I'd agree,
2: I'd agree. Cloud, cloud You really have to look at your technology. I, I, okay, you don't have to do this. I, I think you get a performance advantage you get a consistency and determinism advantage if you look at a design that really is exploiting what the technology in the cloud is, as opposed to allowing your product to be in, a, in, in more of an abstracted container. Um, there are reasons you would put yourself in an abstracted container, because there are some applications where you just say, look, that's easier for me to get it done. Uh, That's an easier way for me to get it hosted across different cloud vendors Um, and in certain areas, an answer is all I need. I don't necessarily need certain levels of performance, but when you're building the codec or when you're down on the ground trying to minimize the latency for human operators, um, it it has paid off to to really look at the native technology available for you in in the cloud providers.
1: Yeah, I I would say from a technical integration standpoint, right, there's certainly basic integration, as Amokar was saying, and you need to do that and be agnostic with everybody. And the reality is these cloud providers, you know, AWS is a little bit ahead of starting and pushing and investing, and certainly in the media and entertainment space, uh, there are certainly different levels of involvement, I would say, between the three cloud guys. And over time, that will level out a little bit, and uh, things will change a little bit. And It will depend on whatever the specific use case is, but uh, who you might integrate a little deeper with and and what that advantage could be.
3: In a way, adopting microservices and virtualization is similar to 2110 and NMOS, right? On prem, because this is what basically enables us to talk to each other, multi vendor interoperability, et cetera, be more independent, provide agility. And that's where, you know, on prem with with GB Orbit. And then Moss, right, in 2110, we can coexist. Right. It could be all orchestrated from that single pane of glass, Correct. which is what, what our customers need. They need that flexibility and agility. Yeah. Right, yeah, it's th- one big sandbox to play in. We're giving <laughs>
1: this,
3: this is the sandbox to all plan in and
2: interoperate. Yeah, so it's a good right. thing. I'm, I'm glad, do we have a couple more minutes, Andrew?
1: Yeah, no, we got time, so please, I, yeah.
2: I, I just wanna jump on, Sam said the keyword interoperate. Um, and, and I think this is going to be a, uh, a, a real exciting time for the in- industry. Um, we've been calling them operating points for the last eight years in 2110, right? We're all gonna have a plug fest and we're gonna do interop and we're all gonna test our operating point. Now, if we think about all the layers of flexibility we've gone through here, and I already claim I'm a nerdy mathematician Well, actually what we're going to have in our future is we're going to have an operating volume. And the the reason I say that is because we're going to want to have a behavior and yet we're going to need to allow people settings on the behavior. We're going to need to give them, Sam talked about it all the way back in orbit about the control. um, I've got a network. I've got a topology. The topology exists. I've now connected two devices. But now I need to control those devices. And one way of exposing your ability to control, uh, part of AMWA ISO 7 has the container for machine control. So one way of doing that is first, you agree on the container. The container is the way you're exposing access to microservices. Then you go to the next step of the common technology. This is something that's used in orbit, that's used in AMP. It's, uh, without mentioning names of things you might buy, we call it PubSub or publish, subscribe. So the idea is I'll go to Alcar and I'll say, hey, here's my recipe. And here's the ingredients you'll need. And he'll say, I got this recipe and these are my ingredients. Is it okay if I substitute walnuts for almonds and we'll negotiate that it's okay. And now we have interop. And, and so that interop has now become a little more flexible than it used to be. And maybe the cookie isn't quite what I wanted but it sure tastes really good and it meets the purpose. But, <laughs> but, but you can kind of get an example you know, of, of where I'm going with this. And would I write a microservice that totally interchanges with animal cars, maybe not. Would I might write a microservice that could substitute with animal cars? That could be negotiated and could be successful to the system. And this is gonna be a really fun thing for the industry to wrap its head around over the next five or seven years. The net, net though, is that our mutual customers will be able to quickly develop their own workflows, test their new workflows, and get the optimal monetization per stream emitted that they want to get. And, and this is how you're going to get there. And it's going to be a little more flexible than the traditional old operating point that, you know, line seven, byte six came after SAV as yeah, okay, I made my point. Sorry, thanks. So.
1: No, good discussion. So good to have you. So we want to do here. So I'm gonna turn it back to you and just to uh, add a few more points. I think here about live production.
3: Yeah. So, so what are what are we talking about here? It's, it's this journey that we've been on. You know, uh, when I first joined uh, the industry, uh, it was basically live production was a lot the traveling circus, I think is what they called one of the events on Mondays, right? It was a big freaking truck and the transmission truck, which had a big satellite dish on it. And then you then slowly we added. Absolutely. I mean, so pretty, you know, I don't know, 10 years ago, eight years ago, fiber started getting to the arenas and the stadiums, and now you had both paths, the satellite path and the fiber path, which is IP, basically. And, you know, then about, uh, what was it, seven years ago, the concept of at-home production was born. I think it came out of one of the college conferences originally, but this idea of let's do live production in, the, in a way in the compressed domain from a centralized location. So they had all the camera feeds in the arena, the stadium, the volleyball tournament, whatever it was, all sent into a, a basically a traditional mon- monolithic uh, router, let's say, but still everything going into encoders, which would then compress, send it over to that centralized location and they would do production, live production. And then that would go to their partners for further distribution, right? And the pandemic sort of accelerated that trend. And with, with technologies like 2110, which really took off pretty much five years ago, if you think about it, right? Now we can, and we are doing this, we can do at-home literal production because we can put pure software solutions. We can have GE orbit in an arena. You have pure software solutions at that arena take all those camera feeds, encode them, have that timing that Mr. Chuck was talking about, pass that off into the cloud, use AMP to do live production from your home office or your living room. And then we can take that even a step further, and because for primary distribution solutions like Titan, they've been pure software for years, we can actually do primary distribution from that same cloud environment. So by, by adopting, these technologies, I mean, th- this is do- th- we're doing this today. We were reactive to our customers. Really, it came from them who asked us to do this. But still, because we were doing this, we were ready when the pandemic struck for this to really take off. And that's why, and you know, ours is not the only solution, but adopting these technologies, pure software, 2110 IP and the cloud, you know, you get agility, flexibility, and you know, you can literally do Live production from anywhere. Um, so if you if you go to the next slide, the point you know of this whole thing is the technology that we have today allows us to transition when we haven't done it or to run you know hybrid environments seamlessly. So you can have you can have your traditional SDI workflows and put twenty one ten. This technology is here today. It's in production. we do it every time. Gb Orbit's a piece of that. 2110 improves versatility in general for live production. As new applications emerge, you know, in pure software, new standards can easily be created to work in harmony with the the established principles. And moving to 2110 further enables live production to take it from not just, you know, at home in the concept of your, your headquarters, but to the cloud with solutions like AMP. So we really can perform live production from anywhere and deliver it to partners customers reliably in any format from anywhere today. And that's the, I think that's the end of our our session. It might be a little early, I don't know. Yeah, we have time for questions, is there any? Yeah.
1: So let's see. I got a question, is GVAMP going to be standards-based live video in the future or proprietary? (laughs) Sorry for that putting you on the spot there, uh, Sam. I think they said amp,
2: not orbit. But, um,
1: uh, did they? Oh, they said amp. You're correct.
2: No, it's, it's it's no, it's all it's all based on standards. Um, so as I started out, you know, JTNMRA uh, flows and grains, all constructs built into and supported by NMOS, NMOS ISO four hundred five uh, registration discovery. Uh, identity management coming. Oh uh, seven, I th- tossed that out. Maybe almost phishing. How people see that as a container, uh, as we look at uh, control and controlling things. Um, there's some IETF RFCs in there as well. It is the internet, um, but um, but, it, but it's it's open. So um, yeah, you know, my pitch to the community here who's listening is a, a place. And, and it's one of those cloud vendors, I won't say who, I, I don't think it's under NDA, but I don't know if I was or not. Um, they're, they're definitely looking at, at what would be, if you said I had a service-oriented architecture as an industry and I want to expose access to microservices, how would you do that? And, and you would logically do that through the data model or if, or if I want to be an academic, I would do it through the ontology and the syntax. And that would require that the industry takes a look at um, you know, things like the behavioral fundamentals of content creation. So I stress that point, you know, it's three fundamentals. They've been the same since we shot film. Um, and and can we come up with basic rules? And I think if we do that, you actually have interoperability at a level that will be extensible for, now I'm 62, it's the rest of my life, huh? But seriously, <laughs> seriously, it, it would be for the rest of my life. So um, as soon as people get locked up on language, or on commonality behavior, or even the lexicon, which is the simple words that we use to describe something, it's going to be difficult because how do you exchange an abstract concept if you can't agree on the vocabulary that describes it? And that's going to be the challenge of our of our industry going forward. But um, everything's absolutely based on standards. It's in amp right now.
1: Agreed. Good opportunity. Everybody want to make some final comments. Um, I think we've pretty much answered some of the questions we talked about in our preparation. I think you hit latency management as an important topic, Chuck, as we talked about, and we talked a little bit about orchestration. Uh, any other
3: points? Yeah, it's it's a little bit funny, you know, because our our industry, right? We we we're required to be more agile, to be faster, but we also cling to a lot of what we. What we've been using for a while what's known and we don't want to go like there's some resistance right and it's 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 really not just our our customers it's the audiences that demand us to be faster more agile and to to basically be be more flexible you know wait having the old cycle of every five, 10 years making a refresh is just not it's not it's not it's not it's today we have to do better we have to go faster And it really is important to adopt these these software solutions, the companies that do so gain the most flexibility. You know, I don't think it it makes sense anymore to to be having to make these CapEx decisions that are very hard to, you know, you're going to predict what you're going to need. Well, the truth is now after the pandemic, we don't really know what we're going to need. So ultimate flexibility is required. And you need to be able, if you use things like 2110, I mean, you're not tied, you just have so much flexibility. IP is everywhere. It really is. It's much easier to get a, a commercial off the shelf switch than it is to get a traditional monolithic router, right? And having the versatility of choosing whatever compression, you know, and had, not having to think about it. You can have J2K, you can have HVC, you can have ABC. And you can do this, from the cloud and setting up an environment from the cloud takes days. You don't have to send a truck, you know, and you don't have to, if you want to produce an event for Puerto Rico, you don't necessarily have to send it on a ship. It's uh, it's just a matter of setting it up in the cloud and going. So we're doing this today. The companies who are doing it are benefiting from these technologies. And we as an industry need to continue to push forward with adopting software in, in 2110.
2: There's two thought experiments I would share with people. One is, how come, as an industry, we still care about a nanosecond of SCH days and NTSC when we'd be in, in a digitally distributed model since the advent of digital TV uh, for over 20 years, which totally decouples us from one nanosecond? Think about the, why that is. And you can start to realize that. We did business for a particular way because it was required that we had one nanosecond because it was required to make the on-air spectral requirements of, of the FCC, so my broadcast signal had guard bands. That's yeah. why we had it. Now, because we had that one nanosecond, see, it pays to be old. Because we had that one nanosecond requirement, we what did we get for free? Instantaneous human response. If you go read about human response factors, 150 milliseconds man that's about all the good the human being is good for okay so we've become coupled to certain things that maybe we could challenge the, the second other point that i i, I asked people to challenge themselves and i started this this is Amilcar's point about we got to be responsive to the market every functional change in broadcast and i've been doing this for 30 years in broadcast it's all been driven by a format It's not been driven by the market. It's a format that then we give to the market. It's now being driven by demand pull from the market. Our market, our customer wants a 4K HDR. Our customer wants an HD. Our customer wants, and and the way I've been saying this for five or six years now, Sam's probably tired of hearing me say this. Our customer, the network, the traditional broadcaster, they've lost control of their format. They do not control the format. Ergo, we as providers to them have to enable them to be format, format, agile, format, dynamic. So a couple, you know, some thought experiments that I can share the data points over the last 35 years where you can say why we got to where we got, but think about the things that could be impacting us as we move forward.
1: Yeah, certainly, uh, even though we're going to do it in the cloud, do it anywhere, reliability, uh, quality, uh, you know, None of that, those requirements have changed. In fact, they've probably just gotten higher.
2: They got harder, exactly, Andrew. So we gotta do everything better than we used to with all of these more agile demands. And faster, yeah. Yesterday.
1: Perfect. Hey, I wanna thank uh, Chuck and Sam for joining Amelcar and us on this uh, journey here to talk a little bit about enabling live production and distribution anywhere appreciated the, the good discussion and certainly the little bit of impromptu here, Here, I think it was uh, very valuable and thank you once again. Great work with you, you guys. Great working yeah. with you guys as well. Thank you.
3: Now we are
0: at the end of the ninth podcast. If you would like to find out more, you can go to the attem.com website or follow us on LinkedIn. Next time, we will cover content protection made simple.
3: Don't miss out.